Welcome to the second conversation of our mini-series, Stories of Migration. Within this series, we welcome artists whose work evolves around questions of migration, identity and belonging. From their individual perspectives and personal histories, the artists reflect on ethnicity, place, marginalization, memory and constructions of the self. Each of the episodes features a different guest speaker, who together with the artist explores their work, approach and subjects around it. Today's episodes features film talent Daniel Castro-Garcia in conversation with Edmund Clark, who works as an artist and as a lecturer. Garcia's work focuses on social documentary related to issues of migration and the refugee movement. He started the Foreigner project in May 2015, with the aim to contribute to a well-rounded debate around migration and its dynamics within what is defined as Fortress Europe, by providing collaborators and subjects the opportunity to share their own personal accounts. They become here active collaborators in creating a platform for nuanced, authentic self-representation of their stories. Daniel and Edmund, be our guest. The floor is yours. Thank you very much. Daniel, maybe we should start by just talking a little bit about how we got to know each other and how we got to know each other's work. I mean, I can begin by saying I was aware of your work for a while at a distance, uh, and I think it was when you won the BJP International Photography Award um, that I really started to look at it uh, in some detail. And what really stood out for me was the way in which you were exploring your subject um, in a way that was different to what else I was seeing, certainly different to what I was seeing in, in the news and different to what other uh, documentary photographers and artists were doing. And what stood out for me was the way your work was involving uh, the people you were showing. There was a degree of participation which led to a kind of a change in the form of, of the representation of your subject matter. So, so that was kind of what really interested me and, and stood out for me about your work. Uh, thanks for the, for the positivity. I'm, 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 you know, I'm very pleased that those were the perceptions of, of what we were trying to do with our approach towards documenting the subject of migration. Um, you know, specifically connecting to how I met you, um, I think I had just simply, through my own research, started to discover your work and was very inspired and motivated by um, the sort of precision and depth of your research and, um, you know, how you were taking on extremely complex uh, subject matter specifically to do with, you know, the war on terror, which has been, a, you know, an era-defining subject matter on, on a social level. Um, and then was very lucky to, you know, meet you. I think one of our first proper meetings was um, in New York around the time of the Eugene Smith. But then later, you know, receiving your mentorship on some applications um, that I was doing that, was a real, um, you know, blessing on a personal level to to have your guidance and input with my work. So, you know, I appreciate that, and yeah, you know, to be here now talking together um, about the themes and ideas that I've tried to put forward in in what I've been doing for the last six years is is a real privilege. So, you know be nice, I think, to start with gratitude um, to you and to FOAM, the organisation, for bringing us together in this in this way. Well, that's a nice way to start, yeah. It's been fascinating kind of watching your work develop and kind of developing a conversation with you about how that work has kind of changed over time and how it's impacted on you and kind of the, the wider themes about kind of representation and ethics and participation, which we'll come on to talk about. But why don't we start by going to the very beginning. So let's talk about what, what is the title? What does the title mean? What is the work about? Uh, and kind of what does it look like? What does it, what does it consist of? So the, the body of work presented in Foam Talent is titled Iperian Terra. Um, which is a Sicilian colloquialism which translates as feet on the ground. Um, it's effectively a phrase said to 
people when they are getting carried away with their hopes and ambitions and sort of designed to bring people back down to earth. And um, it was a phrase that was said to me um, on my first ever trip to Sicily back in 2015. And I felt an instant, you know, kinship and connection with that phrase and what I felt was unfolding in front of my eyes. Um, if I, well, in, in terms of what the, the, this work it consists of, um, it has a backbone in photography, but also um, really is a multimedia archive, uh, which includes video content, which I have filmed, um, materials that I have sourced from online, and mobile phone footage that has been sent to me by collaborators, um, all with the aim to try and create um, a rounded, um, I'd like to say, possibly a more democratic creation of uh, information, visual information. Um, but it also, you know, depends on sound elements and um, I feel very strongly about written text also. Um, effectively, there's um, quite a serious commitment to try and explore um, the genuine complexity of the themes surrounding migration. Well, why don't you just describe for, for the listeners kind of what some of the, um, the, the audiovisual content is and what some of the photographs are that, that appear in the magazine? Sure. So um, within the magazine, um, there's a sort of array of images that range from still life works, landscapes and portraiture. Um, and I think within each of these different disciplines, um, the images can be charged with a range of uh, information, um, socio-political, socio-economic, um, you know, perhaps some more sort of nuanced and spiritual uh, spaces can be reached as well. Um, I think sort of key key photographs are uh, probably, um, you know, there's an image of clothing um, set out as an installation in the bottom of a swimming pool, which has been an extremely important um, image throughout the development of this project. Um, photographs su such as um, uh, the image of Fangidu sat looking out at sea with his sandy, uh, his back covered in sand, which I think also um, permeates into, um, you know, connecting uh, a, a lived reality into a wider um, cultural influences of um, religious iconography where um, an island and a country such as Italy is obviously very influenced by Christianity and so generating these kind of juxtaposing images. Um, another key image would be uh, I think the landscape um, shot with the pink cloud and how this wonderful beautiful unfolding landscape is also carrying um, a great degree of socio-economic information um, such as the local Sicilian population, 50% um, of, of the people are living under the poverty line there, which is really quite um, a, a powerful statistic to consider, um, whilst also adding in, you know, the, the perceived migrant refugee crisis um, taking place in, in such a sort of um, infrastructurally deficient region. Um, and lack of job opportunities and, and subsequent, um, you know, control that this uh, positioning of people can, um, you know, create a lot of tensions in both arriving community and native community. And, um, you know, I think the aim of the work is to unpack a lot of this and, um, you know, try and sharpen people's focus to the nuance and yeah the complexity of 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 of, of reality um in european society well let, let, we'll come on to that in just a minute but let's 
just tell us a little bit more, describe some of the, the film work that you've done, because then I, I, from that I then want to kind of talk about the, the different stages of process behind the work. Yes, so um, in, in equal measure, for there, there, there is a lot of sort of, I guess, more traditional documentary film work that I have undertaken. Um, specific scenes would be, um, you know, um, moments where some of the boys, are, like, I, I think it's probably important to add that from 2017, myself and my partner, um, Jade Morris, moved to Sicily and started working um, in a reception centre for unaccompanied minors that had been rescued in the Mediterranean. And subsequently, we effectively lived together for nearly two years. And I was able to observe the ways in which individuals would interact with media content around the subject of migration. So one specific video piece is of um, Ibra watching a uh, rescue mission in the Mediterranean taking place and subsequently allowing for a sort of double reading of the information. There is the you know, problematic media information that is being watched on YouTube and then also the opportunity to consider the individual consuming this information and, and how, I think for me, the video footage allows for layers of intimacy to be added into the work and a breaking of the lines between the stillness and almost um, very emphatic past that is presented in photography and the, the movement and the present tense that video allows um, for a viewer and an individual involved in the work to to feel um, and of, you know there are hours and hours of video footage that in some cases complement photographic scenes in other cases bring completely new and different tones into the work again like I explained sound um, being very important music and soundtrack that is naturally occurring in spaces and then also um, you know more specifically um, we had the opportunity to travel to Senegal and meet some of the families of the boys that I had been working with. And as such, this gave an opportunity to really start experimenting with how photography and video can start to play with memory and location and allowing people to develop, let's say, quite a rich fabric of of, of universal experiences, their own experiences, and, you know, offering, a, a, I guess, a layer of um, nurturing and respect and... Okay, uh, yeah. I mean, I think we're, I think this is getting a clear sense of the, the scale of the work, um, the range of the work, <clears throat> and the depth of the engagement involved in, in making this this body of work. Why don't you describe a little bit? I mean, you've talked about Senegal, you've talked about Sicily, and you've, you've talked about the fact it's been going, this project's been going for six years. <clears throat> Why don't you just uh, give a little description as to kind of the different phases of the work across those six years and maybe how it, it the working, making the work has changed during the, that time? Yeah, so... And, you know, we've, we've gone straight in and I think it's probably a good opportunity just to take it right back to the seeds that, that led to this. Um, from a very personal experience, um, you know, I am the son of migrants and um, subsequently I've always had a very acute and sensitive awareness of the subject slash issues of migration being presented by the media. Um, and, you know, to give a bit more back story, um, around, you know, 2015 is when the Brexit vote was coming up and migration was used in a very, 
um, weaponized way by sections of the political class and the media to sort of stir fears and disinformation within the general public um, about the ways in which our society was going to change and was changing as a result of migration um, that really resulted in, in very binary positions for and against migration. Um, married in with that, since 2013, 2014, I was becoming more and more aware of the photographs of overcrowded boats crossing the Mediterranean from Libya towards Italian shores. Um, and I started to feel discomfort each time I saw these images because of the, I believe, the traumatic effect they not only have on the individuals in the photographs, but the traumatizing effect they have on the general public consuming those images. Um, and I feel there, there is and was um, an inherent violence in the images that sort of crack at the viewer's mind. And so there is almost a multiplying of trauma going on um, through the creation and consumption of this kind of sensationalist imagery. So the sort of straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak, occurred in 2000, April 2015, when two migrant vessels capsized near the shores of Lampedusa, um, one week apart, April 2015. At the time, the media coverage claimed that an estimated 1,000 people had lost their lives. Later, it has been um, kind of presumed that figure could be more along the lines of 750 people. Um, but regardless of that, there was um, a sort of spike in media attention towards this situation. Um, and I think there was a, a real um, toxic morality in sections of the media and political um, arena that, you know, really lacked respect for the mortality involved in this issue. Um, you know, real lives were being lost in huge numbers and in some ways this was in sort of good conscious being pitted, you know, the capitalism of, of, of sensationalism, so to speak, I think against a very needed concentration of the reality taking place in European society and European waters. You know, the Mediterranean is this extraordinary holiday destination and yet that ocean is 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 a graveyard to tens of thousands of lives and hundreds of thousands of victims of human rights abuses and you know human trafficking abuses um and so there was just this, uh, you know, there was a, a, a media article, um, a, 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 an opinion piece that came out where vocabulary such as cockroaches was being used to describe people that had, had attempted these journeys. And it was something that really disturbed me on a personal level. I think the my own, um, you know, life as the son of migrants and understanding, you know, despite my, um, you know, immeasurable privileges, there is still, you know, something about being a, the son of foreigners that on some levels I feel has really connected me on, on a very personal level to this work. Just that, that identification with the, the experience of migration um, and how that experience for you uh, contrasted so much with the representations of, of numbers that we saw on our screen, faceless numbers, just that kind of idea of boatloads of people. 
is so in contrast to the way in which you have represented this subject. So, so at what point did you kind of start to think about your visual strategy? I mean, I've talked about participation and kind of identification with, with individuals, which I think is so important and stood out for me. How did that develop for you? Well, I think there were certain issue incidents that occurred that were blessings in disguise. Going back to the very, very first trip in um, May, June 2015, firstly to the island of Lampedusa and then to the island of Sicily, literally a week before arriving on Lampedusa, the Italian government had started diverting all rescue missions to mainland Sicily and Italy and had emptied the reception centre on the island of Lampedusa. So where I had set out with a very clear determination to photograph people and interact with people, there was nobody on the island when I got there. And, you know, it's probably worth adding that I am not a trained journalist. Um, You know, this has very much been self-assigned work, so to speak. No one asked me to go there. I went through inertia um, that we can discuss in a bit, I guess, about activism and active citizenship and stuff. But um, that absence of people meant that I was interacting with the boat graveyards, the graveyard on on the island, which had sort of nameless, numbered graves. And, you know, the traces of movement of people instilled a very very important stillness into the work, a need to take the photography into a meditative space as well as a reactionary one that, you know, often photojournalism is a very strong reaction to the moment that is taking place in front of the camera. And so I feel it it instilled this kind of, um, you know, sober seriousness into the images that after the first, you know, four or five days, myself and and my creative partner at the time, Thomas Saxby, you know, started researching, went to Sicily, obviously a larger island with much more life and people there. And as... um, you know, Tom was there with me for a week and then my partner Jade Morris came to join me and we spent uh, another two, three weeks there and basically just started approaching people that we were meeting out on the streets and developing relationships that on a first instant had, you know, I think it's really important that, you know, my my camera was in my bag. I was never approaching people with my camera around my neck and you know, I want a photograph straight away. What I felt I needed and what I wanted to discover were basically have interactions that could allow for a greater depth of information to surface. And subsequently, when the idea of photography could come about in the conversation, people could understand my motivations and they were subsequently afforded an opportunity to bring something to the table, so to speak, take me to a space or place in the city that they felt comfortable in, that they wanted to show me that, you know, they could control their presentation. Um, And after this trip, you know, the back end of 2015, November, December, um, you know, there was the the kind of real increase in um, the sort of migrant refugee crisis that was taking place from Syria, Iraq, coming through Turkey, Greece, the Balkans to Germany and Calais. Um, And myself and my partner, Jade Morris, you know, traveled nearly for two months driving through all of these spaces. That also resulted in us going back to Sicily to further develop relationships that had been established in, you know, the summer of 2015. And I think this was a real key moment because the relationships started to become more important than the photography, um, which I feel if we fast forward to 2017, 
when we moved to Sicily for two years and started working with the boys in the, in the Zingali Center, all of our work has unfolded over a really long period of time in which the photography has dipped in its levels of importance and has subsequently been greatly shaped by the depth of our relationships with people. I think that has been an extremely important part in, in the development of the work, in the development of the ethics and the outlook and the motivations for the work. Well, let's, let's, uh, I mean, a very important phrase you used there was um, your wish to give the people who you were working with some form of control over their presentation. So that kind of introduces kind of wider issues of, of kind of the ethics of making work and participatory practice. But would you want to describe a little bit kind of what those conversations are like? I mean, it, I know from my own experience how incredibly hard it is to kind of navigate that ethical uh, dimension of seeking to make work which is looking to represent a subject in a new way or change forms of representation and the kind of the personal motivations of that and articulating to people who are in situations of extreme difficulty, uh, political difficulty, incarceration in the work I've made is kind of what you're going to do with the work and where it might go and, and how you can kind of in a sense, give people any guarantee that you can do anything with the work, but also how you can talk to people about how they're going to be seen and who's going to see them. Yeah, extremely complicated, delicate and wide varying range of issues and um, themes and ideas that subsequently evolve. Um, if we talk specifically about the body of work presented in the talent um, edition, um, you know, mainly taking place in, in the reception center. I approached that environment with effectively a fresh blank page. I had two years, two, three years worth of experience um, documenting this kind of wider macro issues. And here was the opportunity to work extremely intimately and, and closely um, with a group of people that I knew from my previous experience were going to be dealing with issues regarding mental health, um, post-traumatic stress disorder. That was really one of my key motivations for wanting to focus on working with unaccompanied minors because, you know, psychological illness is extremely detrimental to you know the the development of people's lives and how they respond to certain social situations um i also was coming into that space with things to show so i had made two publications you know i had a website i had web pages where my work was being presented, um, talks on YouTube and things. And as my relationships developed and people became more or less interested in seeing the camera around the center and wanting to collaborate and wanting to pose for photographs and, you know, pose, even a word like pose could potentially be problematic because, you know, people aren't posing all of the time you know at times there's a very there's a very observational images at times there is um, you know I almost prefer more the idea of a posture in an image which can allow for a degree of strength and presence to to prevail in an image um, but then also you know I think it's really important to consider that some of the work uh, this is, you know, there's a tiny fraction of the work that exists in a public sphere and a huge percentage of the work that exists in a personal sphere. And I used to really love that uh, a lot of the boys would, would describe the images as, um, you know, 
an opportunity for them to have like a degree of remembrance around their experience at this time of their life. So for me, I think there was always a motivation to also create images that the boys could look back on at some point in their life and be like, ah, oh, yeah, that's when we were there. That's, you know, how we were feeling. But, you know, these are good memories too. Um, but, you know, specifically to the development of images being created with individuals, I think having stuff to show really helped them understand what we could try and achieve with the images that we were creating. So, you know, opportunities to exhibit work and use one or two images of, of an individual that in turn gave a degree of pride and motivation and, you know, a belief like, yeah, actually, we have stuff to say. We deserve to be heard. Um, and it, it was amazing to, you know, have the TV on a lot in the background and for the news to come up and for the traditional photojournalistic images to be coming through on our screens. But then we would also talk and discuss the images that we were creating and what the potential virtues of our imagery were against this. Now, I'm not ever going to try to dismiss photojournalistic imagery because it has its uses. But I, I feel that collaborating with people being open about what we were trying to achieve instills a degree of confidence and trust. And, you know, that confidence and trust isn't just in a photographic, artistic realm. It's also on a personal level, um, which I think speaks to the greater aims and the greater mission of what we were trying to do. Um, I mean, I should add that, you know, in, in 2017, the reason for us ending up there um, was because we received some funding from the Magnum Foundation. And this was an idea that was, um, you know, arose very organically. Uh, a a long-term collaborator of mine in Sicily made the sort of mutual acquaintance that gave me the access to the centre. And it was supposed to be a three-month, you know, experience from June to August that was, you know, as, as much as the budget would allow me to live there for. Um, but then, you know, the, the sort of stipend from that, I can't remember what it was, but I, myself and my partner, Jade, realised that actually there was a really serious amount of work that needed to be done in this space. And the community, it wasn't just the 12 boys that we were living with, but there were about 150 to 200 um, you know, predominantly young underage migrants living across five different reception centers in the town. And myself and Jade were becoming a really integral part of that community. Um, and subsequently, we just decided to stay. Um, towards the end of that summer, really lucky, we managed to receive funding from the Eugene Smith Fund. And that really allowed for um, a very, very, very committed approach to this work to continue. And we ended up staying there until February 2019. It included us going back to Senegal with one of our collaborators and also allowed us to visit the families of some of the boys that we had been working with in the centre. And as such, I feel brought this level of depth and, um, you know, real life-changing approach to working that we never expected. But once we started going down this avenue, you know, going back to your primary question about, you know, the ethics and everything there comes a point when you can't really just switch that off. You know, you have developed such strong personal relationships with people, you know, that you love people, you care for people, you want them to be safe, you want them to do well. And 
we understood and could see the extraordinarily dangerous society that is around this group of people, exploitative labor, sex trafficking, um, drug problems, mental health issues, all the while remembering the unbelievable lived experiences, the multiple incidents of trauma that most people have endured making it to Italy. You also used the phrase, there was a point where the uh, the photographs were less important than the relationships. And you've described a little bit about how you've managed to fund this work and, and just the extent of your engagement and your partner's engagement. I mean, if you're happy to, uh, I mean, one element of the ethics of making work it, it is also kind of the impact it has on, on, on yourself. I mean, if you're happy to, w would you like to talk a little bit about kind of how you can try or, or, or can you even maintain a sort of some form of a distance in terms of what it is you're trying to achieve with the work what it, or how your lived experience relates to that visual strategy you're trying to bring out, but also kind of how kind of spending so much time living with people who, are, who have been through such trauma actually affects you as well? Sure. Um, I mean, it's very difficult to talk about this, but I think it's important in equal measure. The proximity to the individuals I've worked with, and not just that, but also spending six years quite literally working seven days a week at understanding and studying and researching and reanalyzing and reinterpreting images and the captions that accompany them and rewriting them and the deeper and deeper you go into this, um, at times, great darkness. Um, in the last year, I think particularly since COVID-19 occurred and that enforced uh, a pause and a stop in the work, um, you know, running out of funding in itself has been very difficult to cope with because you know, my own personal circumstances have changed. I have a two-year-old daughter and I have, you know, the 24-7 nature of doing this work has meant I've kind of ostracized myself from any kind of recognizable form of an employed life. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily have had it any other way because I've made so many discoveries about what this all means. Um, my mental health in the last year has deteriorated very drastically to the point where, you know, I've effectively, um, you know, have also been very traumatized by doing this work, um, dealing with my own issues around PTSD, vicarious trauma, um, you know, and the, the sort of levels of, of stress that the intimacy of relationships can can put and has put on, on me personally. Um, you know, I think that also carries with it some um, ethical difficulties, but, uh, you know, I think there comes a point where also it breaks down to, you know, you venture down avenues that you don't know what to expect. You don't know what will happen. And my commitment has been to the work more so than my own well-being. Um, and, you know, subsequently, this period of time away from, away from um, generating new work has been very important and um, and I think it's probably, you know, a lot more healing needs to be done um, to be able to to move forward. But I, I would like to tap back to something, you know, that you, I think there's also another way to discuss this about the relationships being more valuable on a personal level than the work, the images, that I feel there has come there have come moments where my own egocentric motivations as an artist I've had to learn when to let go of those 
and I've had to learn how to let go of images too, you know, and I think this also taps into a really, really important point regarding consent and the traditional power dynamics of the photographer, the camera and the, uh, you know, the subject. And when I say subject, I'm talking about, you know, the subject you are photographing, not the individual person. Um, I really don't like people in photographs being described as subjects. It, I think after my time doing this work, it is, it's just uncomfortable and, and incorrect, to be honest. You know, that egocentric thirst, I think the sooner and, and the times in which I've, I've come to the realizations, well, you know something, it's actually okay to let go of this image. I can do this work justice without having to continue to use someone's image and understand that there, you know, there is an element of exposure that this work brings. Individual people get connected to an issue or a subject that maybe two or three years down the road, their life might be very different and they might not want to, you know, still be operating, I think, particularly in a digital space. And I kind of think about this idea of the sort of digital fingerprint of images how that legacy can kind of multiply and spread like a like a web it's complicated work to to take on because they're very delicate and intense issues that people are living with and and you know i think there has to be there is a much needed humility from the individual that is you know, setting out to make work that might have some sort of, um, you know, viral quality or, you know, newsworthy, spreadable quality, you know, to actually stop and say, like, does the individual fully understand what the aim of this work is? Their understanding, like my understanding, can evolve and subsequently, I think it's, you know, I, I feel I have been, uh, we have been, you know, as respectful as we possibly could have been at every stage uh, in, in trying to do the best we could with what we were doing. Oh, I just, yeah, I mean, I, I, that's important to say. But there's a kind of two words here, which I think I mean, seem to be important in terms of ideas of representation, participation, ethics, which is distance and proximity. Um, you know, the way in which the subject has been represented was all about distance, and the way in which you did it was to, was to bring proximity to individuals caught up in this experience. Um, the proximity that that has led to in terms of the depth of your engagement and the length of that time and the impact that's had on you personally is also important but there's also that idea of kind of there is still distance in a sense I mean I've certainly felt this in my work that I still have to try and keep a distance because I still have to you know if I don't actually get this work published or get this work seen then the degree of participation the degree of commitment people have given me kind of doesn't have a point. So trying to keep that distance it is kind of, has also been important. And there's a kind of, with these sort of long-term relationships where you almost cross from, you know, at what point do you stop worrying about getting this work out there and getting something seen and changing perception, adding to discourse? And actually it becomes more, you're almost, the personal side takes over, and in my situation working in, in prison, for example, you become more of a therapist than you do someone making work about the subject and the situation that you're engaged in. And that's a difficult kind of relationship between distance and proximity. It really is. It really is. And, it, you know, I think, again, the key is that these positions change. Um, they change with the passing of time. And, you know, I think if I were to have followed, um, you know, I think a sort of 
the way I observe the sort of photographic landscape is that, you know, you create a body of work, you look to publish it in a book and have an exhibition and try and develop as much media noise around that as you can. And it, it almost as, as much as it, it's pushing the content, it's also pushing a product and, um, you know, propelling your own career. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that at all. Um, but I think in, in the specific case of this work, I, I don't necessarily know if a book is the correct avenue for this. Well, what do you think well, would be the ideal form or forms of, of dissemination? Um, I think, you know, the kind of the ultimate goal would be for there to be sort of one more round of creative work to be developed, um, you know, which I think involves a more serious re-engagement with everybody, uh, a sort of, this is what we have, this is what I think we can do, would you like to add to this or walk away from this? And I think once I could have figured that out, you know, that work in an exhibition format, I feel would be the most um, the most well-rounded way of presenting the findings. And I think it's the way that would probably most readily affect the viewer. Who is the viewer? Who, who is your audience, do you think? I, I think it can, it's multiple audiences. I mean, I, so far I've been very lucky for the work to be exhibited internationally um, in the States or across Europe. Um, I think predominantly it's going to be a sort of, you know, photography interested crowd um, with, you know, that I think in, if I think about organizations and people that I have spoken to, there's also um, uh, a, a strong connection to people that are interested in human rights issues. Um, so there's like, a, I think, a political um, sort of viewer for this body, for this, you know, this archive. Um, so I think it's also a difficult question to answer because you, you don't ultimately know once it's out in the world who is who is seeing it. Um, but, you know, I feel that opportunities like this are extremely important because they just bring a whole level of information that someone won't necessarily see in the portfolio, for example. You know, I can talk about the wider range of issues and difficulties that you'll never know about unless we can discuss them. I, I think, in addition, you know, one of the biggest motivations or, or the kind of privilege that I have appreciated the most is when the work has been taken into academic spaces. Um, and I think I have sort of really valued being able to walk away from some of that more artistic, egocentric elements of, of, you know, being an artist and moving more towards, I guess, like um, trying to obtain a, a sort of intellectual independence with all of this and being able to, to speak to students, um, I think has been one of, one of the more satisfying parts of it. it. It might sound small, but not everything has to be in your face and bombarding, you know, change can occur in very small ways. Um, and anyway, you know, even talking about it in this way, I feel is, is, is focusing it on like me, what I can achieve with it, what I can do for the work, what, how people can interact with our work. And I, I think there is also, you know, a strong consideration for how the relate, uh, like my relationship with the people I'm, I'm working with has, has been really affected by photography full stop. If there hadn't have been, you know, that root meeting that revolved around this desire to document and photograph 
the subject of migration. I, I probably never would have met, you know, hundreds of people that I've met, and let's say dozens of really valuable, important relationships that I've made. Well, let, let's just go back to that for a minute. Just, I know we've been going for nearly an hour, but I, I just want to, on that point, bring you back to the kind of the participatory process and what other elements of the work consist of that I've seen and that element of kind of your subjectivity as, you know, a Western white male making work about incredibly traumatic experiences, which we're privileged not to have to go through. Um, but yeah, there is, that raises questions about um, on an ongoing basis, you know, are, are you still the right person to make that work? And, and, but I know that, I mean, in terms of the element of participation that you've, you've, the work includes film and video, which, which some of the people you've been involved with are making themselves as their, their own experiences develop as their kind of engagement with the West, with Europe has kind of changed over time. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, they do. You know, I think there's a very strong example of that in in the in the magazine um, of of uh, the photograph of Aliu with the with the red leaves behind him, and the you know the caption of that image being you know a text that he wrote in response to um, you know the, the the tragedy surrounding George Floyd, um, and and I think that that is for me, like something that I'm quite proud of, to be honest, you know, because no one, it's very rare to be able to hear that individual's voice and opinion. I think most of the people that I've worked with have developed a consciousness around the dehumanization that has taken place in their lives. The, you know, specifically in the case of Italy, um, you know, without going into too much detail, um, at the time, Foreign Minister Matteo Salvini, who brought in, um, you know, the Decreto di Sicurezza, which was a, a, a kind of bureaucratic process um, that has really accentuated, you know, really important to think about state violence, you know, the bureaucratic process that has strangled people of their rights to work, their rights to access health care, their rights to access safe and affordable housing. You know, this is violence. This is something that is perpetrated on the arriving community and there is very little infrastructure for them to respond. So going back to your question around that collaborative process, I think when we ambitiously try and consider what this work can achieve. We're hoping that through the people's involvement and people's openness and bravery to share their experiences, you might be able to affect the viewer's consciousness. Now, I think that is very ambitious, but I feel that the, the multimedia nature of, of the work the photography, the video, the sound, everything is aiming to bring stillness. And it's, you know, I think that the fact that we have tried to create images that are very different to the mainstream media, hopefully one of the aspects of the images is that they might provide that opportunity for people to sort of pause and reflect. It is also important to note that you know, the idea of collaboration is also one that is very um, fluid and people people have, um, you know, the people I'm working with are in very, you know, most people are in very difficult situations and, you know, there comes moments, there comes times when, you know, photography and video work is really of no interest whatsoever. So there, there is also, um, you know, the opportunity afforded to me to focus and work on this myself as well, you know, and, and, and go to that depth and that level of care with everything to, to, you know, try and maximize the, the, the potential. And, 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 and I think it, you know, also to add, sorry, I don't know if I'm maybe waffling a little bit, but 
the ingredient of time is a very, very key one. Um, you know, I don't have any notion at the moment of if this is finished, if there is more to be done. That was, that was my last question. When, when do you think it will be finished? When will you know that it's finished? Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily know if I will know. Um, I think it very much depends on whatever opportunities are afforded to the work in terms of, you know, an, like, like I'm mentioning, you know, exhibitions. Um, I don't know if, I don't feel the motivation necessarily to publish the work anymore. I think it's done what it needed to do in that way. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I think it, um, I think it very much depends on how individual circumstances develop my own, you know, my own health also whilst trying to conduct this work develops and hopefully improves. You know, I think we've really tried to do the best we could do and raise the the right levels of um interest and and um you know have tried to flag up the major issues that ultimately goes right back to the core and the very beginning of this work you know representation um mental health um and and you know proximity and intimacy and and you know combating you know the dehumanization that has taken place um, against the people in, in, you know, that have migrated to Europe in the last five, six years. I have one, one last question, actually, another last question. Do you have any advice for, for photographers thinking of or about to engage, to set out on a kind of a really long form, in-depth piece of work? I think... Each case will be very unique, I'm sure, but I, I think it's important to stay as committed as you can to what you're doing. You know, the, and, and difficult moments, moments of adversity, there's a lot to learn in there. You know, there, there is also the possibility of discovering that photography isn't always going to be the best way to say what you might be trying to say or uncover what you might be trying to uncover. I think, um, you know, I have a lot of peers to be grateful towards that have, um, you know, advised me and helped me over the last few years. And I think it's very important to develop a network of people that you can talk to about your work and your motivations and certainly to try and look after your mental health because I think these issues can creep in without you realizing as you, you know, may invariably become blinded by what you are trying to do. I mean, that's another aspect, you know, there's, there have been times in the last six months and you've touched upon, you know, that commitment that you make to people to do the right thing with the work. There have been times when I'm looking at what I have and it is like a huge mountain that I have no idea how to ascend. So I think, you know, really trying to um, also be a student of your craft um, and, and really try and absorb as much as you can and take your time before releasing the work that you are trying to do, I think is massively important. You know, this is an industry that moves very fast, that produces a lot of content and that can be very suffocating and disorientating as you are one individual in this pool with thousands of other creators. But to just trust yourself and, and stay focused and, and keep going, I think, has to be the ultimate advice, really. It has to be about patience and ultimately, you know, I think if you're taking on this, this type of subject matter, um, being aware of your own privilege and a lot of us really are, are privileged in the sense that we don't have that, a great deal to fight for and subsequently people take that for granted so you know there there is is um 
you know, freedom and, and respect and, and safety um, that, that is kind of key to this fight. And so, so I fight, so the boys fight. And so, you know, you know, I, I hope that the work can just bring a, a little bit of, of nuance to a very complicated and painful subject that, you know, I, I just hope can obtain a little bit more respect in the widest in the widest sphere because it is needed and um you know like i mentioned before the individuals involved deserve more respect they deserve care and you know i think there is a need for society to just develop trust a bit more and um yeah protect you know how how are we protecting our most vulnerable in society i think is you know ultimately that's been the motivation for the work and, and i think it will remain that well that is a good place to stop i think thank you daniel thank you edmund and thanks to everyone at foam and big love once again thank you to daniel and edmund for sharing their insights with us for the next episode we will be joined by noemi from now you see me moira and foam curator Klarche van dijk Please keep an eye on our social media for the announcements. Until next time, viva!